Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2017. This is Steve talking about Steps 6 and 7. Greetings, spiritual trekkers. I'm Steve, I'm an alcoholic. And very gratefully sober today and also grateful to be a small part of this beautiful weekend. I'm glad to see it's been resurrected over the years and um, sort of sitting back there thinking before, listening to a bit of it in the speakers and pondering my own experience that um, I was separated from alcohol the last time in uh, 1993, September the 10th and it's very important for me and actually part of that pertains to a small element in step six. Um, I'm the sort of guy I can't stay sober in AA and I don't know why and I'm so desperate and I want to be free I don't know what I want to be free of um, I keep going back to alcohol because I perceive it's the only sense of ease and comfort I can get and I don't know how to break free of that and when I look back I'm very grateful um, at a huge depth because the message contained in this book set me free of that and untreated it took me to a place where I nearly walked away from this thing in 1993 because you know what this disease of the spiritual malady is about that I can separate myself I can be in rooms full of AA people but I feel this sense of separateness that I don't know how to break out of and then I go and pour alcohol on top of it and I start to think that I'm different from you guys and there's something so wrong with me that I can't get this thing I thought when I came in that my problem was just alcohol, that all I had to do was stop drinking and everything would be okay. And it made a lot of sense to me the more I understood what alcohol was about. But for the first three or four years, I really at depth had no idea of a lot of what was talked about this weekend. And uh, this small section of the book, Step 6 and 7, is a huge part of the greater whole of the 12 steps. I've come to see that they're like a link in a chain, that if I take one link out of a chain, the rest of the chain's going to be pretty useless. And it's a pretty big book, isn't it, with a lot of big stuff in it that I don't really want to do because I'm the master of trying to find the easier, softer way. And I think one of the saddest realities, certainly for me, about alcoholism, that I will look for the easier, softer way and neglect things that I need to do because I think I can get out of it with a shortcut. And I find if I don't do what I need to do as against what I want to do, um, something comes back to bite me on the butt. But, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff, even... Today in the inventory is a lot of stuff. I used to, I was introduced to the big book uh, not that long after I got sober by an older member and to this day I'm so grateful that that guy could see where I was at and he encouraged me to have a look in this book and I didn't want to because um, I, I didn't think I could study this book. It had no pictures in it. I wasn't really interested in it and um, I don't know why I went down there but he introduced me to this book and uh, things started to change and, you know, six and seven... In a sense, I was thinking a bit about it this morning, driving up, and um, kind of a little bit like the handed over steps, isn't it? Just handed over, and I heard that a lot around AA, and it kind of made a sense because I heard somebody mention it before, pain's my greatest motivator. And I'm not talking about drinking necessarily, although that causes an astonishing amount of pain, but pain being sober in AA, that emotional pain and frustration of living life sober... Um, is a very uncomfortable place to be and uh, I'm the sort of guy when I came in here I had a faith in a God. Um, I found it really strange that I, uh, having faith in God and knowing God's there, that I still continued to drink and couldn't seem to get free of this pain. So in a sense handed over made sense but I got very frustrated with that 
because after a period of time, it didn't really do anything to relieve me of that emotional pain. My experience is, similar to when I come to a meeting of AA, I get relief. Something happens, which is actually a really great example of a power, because I know you guys can't stop me drinking. I know you guys can't relieve my pain. But when I come and associate with like-minded people, you know, it's like you walk into a meeting and some of that pain from the day just seems to dissipate and I get a sense of ease and comfort that I couldn't really find during the day. And I know it's the same thing if sincerely, if I, in a fashion, try and hand it over or cry out to God. Perhaps like a, uh, an older member I knew years ago used to say, you know, there's no atheists in the last lifeboat. When the pain becomes great in some fashion, I'll cry out there to a God and I can get relief. But I found out as time went by that I needed a lot more than relief. I needed to be free of the stuff that was causing it. And it's really the process up to this point of time and that fantastic presentation that David did. For the first time, it showed me in my life why things were going wrong, why I felt like I did, why I couldn't seem to fit into the world, why I couldn't have decent person personal relationships. And I realised it was more than just handing it over because back in those days when I was getting a bit frustrated with this, the only logical way I could perceive to hand it over to be free of the pain and the suffering was to actually cut my head off and say, yeah, God, take it. I didn't know how to get free. And I've never read anything in here where it just said hands it over, but when I got up to step six, I was on a completely different footing. And just to look at a couple of things, because there's only really two small paragraphs, there's an awful lot of stuff in the book, isn't there? 40-something pages on step one plus the doctor's opinion, all the other stuff we've gone through, and then it gets to these two tiny little handed over paragraphs, and so very, very easy to miss the point when people got me to see there was a lot more in step six and seven than just seeing these bunch of defects of character and how they played on my life and the fact that I could go back and drink on them and just hand it over and move on and do what's next. Because he doesn't sort of imply that here. And a couple of little things that I found very important pointed out for me the first time I went through this process. I was about, I don't know, six months, I think, and I, uh, I reached out to this guy out of desperation um, and he guided me through this process. And when we got up to step six, he pointed out in the book these considerations in, in uh, step six in that first paragraph on 76 and... You know, the top one was very important where he said at the start of step six or almost at the start, if we can answer yes to our satisfaction. And I heard David mention something in the previous presentation about being thorough in the fourth and the fifth step. And it gave me a consideration before I enter step six to go home and sit quietly and pull the book down and see if I've held on to anything, if I've missed anything. And I went and did that. So it implies there to me in the book that if I can't answer in my own satisfaction that I've completed everything, not to move on. To me, it's the second place in the book where it suggests if you're not complete already, don't move on. The other one's back before step three. But that word's come up again in step six. He said, we emphasised willingness as being indispensable. You know, I found out after a long period of time, sobriety and what was offered in Alcoholics Anonymous wasn't a big ask. I thought it was huge. I thought studying this book and learning about those steps was something insurmountable because I'm not really a study person. I only pass lunchtime and home time at school and I thought it just seems too much, too much to take in, too much to look in the book and I'll never get this thing. But, you know, somebody pointed out in Appendix 2 um, towards the end of that 
up the back of the big books where he made a statement where he said, willingness, honesty and open-mindedness are essential for recovery. These things are indispensable. And they pointed out that I only really need three things for this thing to work, those three things, to be willing, to have an open mind. That was pretty easy because nothing in my mind or my old ideas and perceptions weren't working. And just to try and become willing to be honest about this process and moving through it. So I was directed the first time I got to this place and inventory is an amazing thing and certainly the fifth step after it is that for the first time in my life it allowed me the ability to see the truth where I was at fault because like was pointed out before my whole life I'd gone through life I could always tell you who I resented, always tell you what they did and always blame them how poor little me was affected And it had never dawned on me that maybe you've done something wrong here, Steve. Maybe the way you're looking at it's wrong. It had never dawned on me. So it was suggested to me in step six that I go back and have a look at my inventory and find out what is it that I need removed in order for me to be free? What is it that I need removed so I can tap this power that you guys talked about, not only to keep me safe from alcohol again, but to keep me safe from me and you safe from me because I started to see the truth of how I really am an extreme example of self-will run right that I usually don't think so and all my troubles are of my own making. So this guy pointed out these considerations and he said to me, go and start to look back over your inventory and find out what is it that God you need God to remove, to start to be a little bit specific. And just like, again, the example that was shown before, I started to look back and start to see how selfish I'd been or inconsiderate or dishonest and I reflected back over it. What I found really interesting in the process of inventory is that I started to see in that third column how what I'm really doing that causes all this pain and suffering is running on God-given instincts. All of us have instincts to have healthy personal relationships. All of us have human instincts to seek material things and financial things for security. And all of us have relations for uh, instinct drive for emotional relationship and sex relationship. And I was just running about trying to get those God-given instincts met. And I started to see that other people that I resented, they too in their own life were trying to get those instincts met. And I started to see at a much deeper level, not that I was sore on them for what they did, but they were just trying to get the same things met in their life as I was trying to get. And this took me to a much deeper level of being considerate of other people. I started to actually learn to, through my resentments and the inventory, be considerate of where others were at and put myself in their shoes. And I had an amazing turnaround this with a lot of things. And it started to make a lot of my defects a lot more glaring. And some interesting considerations in here, and this guy said when you've started to make a bit of a list and be specific about what you want removed, and he said to go away and find a bit of quiet time and look at these questions in step six. This is probably the only time when I got with this guy that I actually did what somebody suggested. So I looked at that list and he said some things here like, are we now ready for God to remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? And I find that a very powerful consideration that are they objectionable? Because what I've come to see that a lot of my defects of character have value 
because if I use them to get something off you or a situation to go my way or resentments have a value to me because I see what you're doing wrong, I use that as a basis to condemn you and put you down to make me feel better. And I started to see how I use a value on a lot of these defects and they're attractive to me and I don't want to let them go because I live in some distorted sort of way. If I can get that off you and if you can stop doing that and this can happen over here, my life's going to be okay and that's how I'm managing life. And when I started to see the truth of how they manifest out of me and what happens, I started to get this sense deep down inside of me is that's not how I want to be. I started to really get a deeper level of how inconsiderate and self-seeking and selfish I was in these areas. And it's really interesting that because it's the same sort of objectionability that I realised, oh my God, as an alcoholic, how much do I want to be free from drinking? I, 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 it's objectionable. I don't want to go back there. I know what it's going to do to me. And I feel this gut level objectionability. And I started to feel that as I looked at all these defects of character. Can God take them all, every one? Can God do that? That's why I mentioned this pertains to my being separated from alcohol because my first step experience shows me there's nothing I can do to stop myself. I identify very strongly with that allergy, but my experience even sober in AA is that I can't stop. I've lost the power of choice and I go back and drink and I've done that on several occasions. And the most amazing and profound thing above anything that I found in this journey is that God has removed from me and kept me safe for alcohol. It's not me doing it. I never got up in the morning and said, God, take it, I don't want to drink. It just was taken. It's absolutely amazing to look back on. So I looked at these defects of character in step six that he suggested me to consider, and I thought, can God take them? And what came back to me was, if God had removed completely from me that obsession, that thought of a drink... You know what it's like in that strange metal blank spot, even though you know it's not a good idea, but you just reach out and pick it up and you wonder how you got back there time and time and time again and that's non-existent? Isn't that a profound example of a power doing something for me that I can't do for myself? And I thought, well, maybe God can take these things off me. Because what I realised, I can't seem to shift myself beyond these defects that I'm now starting to own and I now start to see how destructive they are they cause trouble to other people. They block me off from having decent, decent relationships. And I never understood because I had a faith in God. If, how can I be blocked off from God if I know God's there and have a faith in God? And what I saw through this process, it's that self-centred Steve that's trying to manage life. He's totally self-centred with his own manage, manageability, his own ideas about how he's running life. And when I'm self-centred and consumed by self or me, I'm not conscious of a God. I'm not conscious of being considerate. And I started to see how I blocked myself off. So I believe that God could. But the key thing I learnt in this is, am I willing? Something very interesting happened to me around this section here that I remember, and it's still relevant for me to this day. A short story, very, very short. Many years ago, I was involved with these church youth groups. I didn't go for the church. I went for all the fun and games and activities. But nevertheless, I was talking to this... Um, person at the time who was pretty wrapped up in, in, in the church and everything and I remember she said to me and this always makes sense to me is that she said look God loved us so much he gave us free will that's a pretty huge example to me of unconditional love in other words God said rightio guys know that I'm here I'm there for you but I'll show you how much I care about you I'm going to give you free will come to me only if you want to 
that made a lot of sense to me because I've done a lot of things on my own will that have got me into trouble and I've never had God stopping me doing it or, or, or coming and saying you shouldn't do that. God's just let me run like a little child and do what I want to in life. But when I fall flat because I make mistakes or get scared, when I've come back, I've felt a sense of God being there for me. But then I've run off again and I thought, wow, that's exactly the same thing up here. I can still use those defects of character as I go about life. God's not going to stop me, but it seems to be I'm the one that's got to see the dynamic of how destructive it is in my life and be able to want God to take it. And this was the first time in my life when I sat down and looked at step six that I actually felt something I could hold, be it selfishness or criticism or judgment or... Um, whatever the defect of character was, see the dynamic of how it played out, which when I looked at it, you know what it's like when you write out that inventory and you look at it and you think, I don't believe I'm actually thinking that way. It's just bizarre. And it was the first time in my life I felt something I could hold and say, hey, this is where I'm at fault, this is where I'm going wrong, now I can see what it's doing. And I felt that sense of objectionability. And I never had that before. It's suggested there that if I didn't, to me this is a very ongoing thing, if we cling to something we will not let go of, we ask God to help us be willing. And I find that the step's not a one-off deal because I still see, even to this very day, that some of those defects, I just want to hang on to a little corner of it because I think I can get something out of it. And then back to the drawing board, the process shows me, "Uh uh-uh, it ain't working. It's part of a lifelong process. So that was a really great experience to me, to take those considerations, to not whiz through them, but to go and really sit, to talk with someone about, am I doing the right thing, and running it by them, and then going away and taking those considerations. And it put me on a completely different footing. And it also can put me on a place where, for the first time in my life, I I didn't want to be like I was seeing myself. And I could hold all these different things that I wanted to get free of. And then it was suggested that I go on and take this prayer. And I love a couple of things in this prayer. God, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. There were times, not only before I got to AA, but my experience is drinking after being sober in AA were the worst mental and emotional experiences of my life. And when that happened again and again, I got to some very dark places where there were times when I would lie in bed at night and I was so lost and disillusioned, I'd actually look up there to a God that, and a loving God that I knew was there and think, why would you even bother about me? We can get to some pretty dark places. I can come to AA and put on a happy face, but what am I like in that little secret world that I go away and live in with all that pain and suffering and disillusionment that I want to somehow keep to myself and figure it out? That's going to kill me or take me back to alcohol. So I was glad to know that God was willing to have all of me good and bad, that God realised I'm a bit of a defect, i got problems, I do the wrong thing, and he was going to take care of that. So I went and said the prayer, and what I find remarkable on this, just to finish off talking a little bit about that prayer, you know what it's like, I can hear a lot of people around AA saying, oh, they did this and they did the prayer and they felt free, and I think, wow, that's great, but I'd sit there and think, when's it going to happen to me, when's it going to happen to me? And I didn't think these things would not happen to me. And I did this stuff to the best of my ability, and why this was so profound, just to finish off, is because... I remember going home from that place I went to to do this stuff on 6 and 7 and it was either later that night or the next morning I got up and I suddenly was aware that I'd had a resentment on somebody or something that day and it wasn't there and I recognised that. And then a couple of small things happened, if my memory serves correct, that morning where I just suddenly realised, why didn't that bother me? How come that didn't frustrate me? 
why didn't I react like that? Just tiny little things. And you know what happened to me is the second thought was, where'd that come from? And what I started to experience, I don't know whether you guys noticed, but I find sometimes these tiny little awarenesses or tiny little sense of being free when I look at it is like, oh my God, where'd that go? And what I suddenly realised, not only with alcohol, but with this defect of character here, God was starting to do for me what I couldn't do myself and give me that sense of freedom. And what I came to realise through this journey, that what I was so desperately seeking, that inner freedom, it is within me, it always has been, I couldn't see it. And I need some way to be able to see the truth of how I'm creating all that. It's not what you guys are doing, it's how I create it is the only way I can get free of that. So to me, that's the most profound thing because I never knew how to get free of this, but what I've also come to realise, and it's something I've always believed, is that the writers of our book knew, I, knew, I, I figure they knew with inside themselves that if they were to remain free of alcohol, they not only had to find a way by which they could stay sober, but they had to find a way inside themselves to which they could be happy and content living in the world sober. And to me... That God that's there, the only way he got us to see that, because we're so selfish and self-centred, he touched two alcoholics in 1935 and 1936. They wrote about their experience in here, and thank God we've got that message today. Thanks for letting me share. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.com. .aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.